Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Ilad Barak. He is the CEO of Voyager. Ilad, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. So tell the audience that don't know with The Talking Hedge what Voyager is, what you're doing there, and what you guys got going on. Yeah, sure. So, so Voyager is a company that's developing a medical product that can very accurately and precisely dispense liquids, concentrates. And we believe that the first market for our product is cannabis, as we see a, a big opportunity there to, to bring a product that allows consumers to have cannabis oil, whether it's sublingual or water drops to add to their beverages in a very accurate and safe way. And afterwards, we will take this also to the medical field. So a lot of people are familiar with like a tabletop dispenser or something that can create a butter or oil or tincture, definitely familiar with vape pens. So just to elaborate, because this is a very unique product and you don't have a lot of competitors like you've mentioned. So this is a portable device that you can hover over water or coffee or a, a pre-roll if you want to infuse that. Am I, am I understanding the, all of the applications? I think a lot of people, well, we get a lot of times the mistake is this is a vape. It's absolutely not a vape. This is for people that don't want to vape and smoke. Um, like myself, I, I vape because it's kind of one of my only options in a way. Uh, but the most of the people don't want to vape and smoke. So what we have here is the same cannabis oil you can put inside our device. But now instead of taking a syringe and trying to guess if you're taking the amount you want, you just say, I want five milligrams. You press a button and you get those five milligrams. You can use it sublingually. You can put it in your food. Um, it's kind of up to you. If you put inside, instead of regular cannabis oil, you put cannabis oil that was already emulsified into water, then now you can add it into a beverage. And instead of going and buying a beverage in the dispensary that maybe tells you it's going to be sparkling with a specific flavor and five milligrams, and maybe you want four milligrams and you also want it with your coffee, not a sparkling beverage, and you take your coffee, you take your device, you press four milligrams and that's it, you're done. So it's just more convenient. Um, I will just close my background just for a moment. And then this is our pot and dispenser. It's really small. This is my, my broken phone, but it's very small size. Um, you just connect them together. You have your a few buttons and you get a very accurate drop. So. So the base of that, that's where you have your, your special blend. Is that right? And the top unit is your, what, the atomizer or the, the battery? So we, we call the top unit the dispenser, and it's a one-time purchase. It's only $50. Uh, we're keeping it as low cost as we can. We're actually almost financing it from that perspective. And, and then we, we make money, essentially, our profit is from the recurring uh, sales and purchases of the pods. So those pods we can sell our own brand, but you're also selling them empty to other cannabis brands that want to join our ecosystem and they can fill it and also put it in the legal dispensaries and then consumers, they just go and they purchase their favorite pod, whether it's going to be with THC or with CBD, Indica, Sativa, you know, whatever it is for you, but you can now replace them. And we designed it very nicely that if you have a dispenser, you can replace the pods as many times as you want. So if you put your, your, pot in a curing machine, you have one use of it, and then you throw it away. With us, it's kind of different. Each pot can contain, according to the, in, to the regulator, up to 1,000 milligrams. So let's say, for example, you take a pot with 400 milligrams, and you want to use it. You don't have to use all of it until you, you take it out. You can connect it, use 5 milligrams, disconnect it from the dispenser, put another pot, maybe this time with CBD instead of THC, use that one a bit, 
And then back to the THC, so they're interchangeable. We've developed them in a way that you can just simply connect and disconnect them. There is no moving parts that you need to, it's just with a magnet, it clicks. And now you have this variety of pods. So you can really personalize not only the amount, but also which type of cannabis you're using each time. So you're working with, um, like in the, in the U.S., where it's not federally legal, like where you're at in Canada, you'd have to work with individual states, right? A, either a producer or a processor to get that into a retail shop, and you'd have to basically work at, at a multiple state level, multi-state operator. Would I be able to buy that unit and fill it with a tanker, like the syringe, and use it for myself and not wait for um, a producer processor to white label that? So... That- Unfortunately, that's not how we're gonna we're gonna have it. As I mentioned, we make actually our money from selling the pods. If you're gonna refill your pod, there's there's that's our business in the end of the day. Um, and also, in order to make sure that the pod is accurate, we need to fill it. Uh, we have a proprietary pump that we developed inside the pod, so it's an integrated dispensing mechanism. And for it to work, we need to fill it perfectly, meaning we need to make sure that there's there's no bubbles and things like that. Uh, so that's something that we can do on the factory level. Um, and then our pods are very safe from a consumer perspective. So we need to make them childproof. We want to make them dummy proof. There's no way for you to take the cannabis out or any liquid in, in that case from the pod out without the dispenser. Um, and to that matter, there's no way for you to put it in after we fill it, right? Like we close it and that's it. It's one time close and it can't open again. So there's no chance you can open it and take the liquid out. So, so that kind of makes that difficult and requires a different design for something else. Hmm. Interesting. So what about the, I'm going to get to the technology behind this hardware. You've got some software and, and some interesting data that you're able to pull from that. And so taking a step back, we had met originally from the investor hot seat and on the same, I think the same panel was a company pitching called the O blend and they have a tabletop unit and it's, it's really big and, and it's, you know, got its own things. <clears throat> but what I did like about it was the ability to, like if I was over at somebody's house who had the old blend and I had some coffee and I said, oh, I really like the effect. I want to emulate that, basically copy it. You could do that from their software. Do you have something similar to where if I were to experience it with you and want to copy that, is that an option? Uh, I, I mean, we're doing something that's a bit different. So it's difficult to, to compare. And I'll just explain the difference. I think what Obland is doing is they're trying to personalize upstream. So they're saying, we're going to take this device, put it in a dispensary or in an LP, assuming that LPs are going to want to do individual products for people and not, you know, and do the QA for that, or dispensaries will be able to have open cartridges. Uh, but they're saying, we're going to do a specific blend to you. I think that's not where the market is. I think the market is more about being able to dispense it accurately. So once you got their product and essentially maybe you can put their product even in our pods, now, if you want to get one milligram or two milligrams and know what you're doing and track that, that's where we come into place with your actual consumption. They just put it in a bottle, right? So it's a bit different from that perspective. We do something really different. We're personalizing downstream. They're personalizing upstream. Um, so I, I just think we're, we're not competing with them from that perspective. I know it sounds similar, but they're just making a blend, which is, has its own right as a product. And we're doing something completely different. We're delivering it. For your question, we have with our dispenser and pod the ability for you to memorize what you're doing. So for example, if you buy a pod with a specific strain you like and you always use five milligrams in that, the dispenser will learn that and remember that. Um, so if you connect another pod with the same kind of uh, 
characteristics, it's going to do the same. But there's not a lot to copy, I think, but something maybe to think about and add in the future, right? Um, yeah. So you've got some machine learning involved with, with that, and it's kind of learning with you? It's, um, I, I don't want to exaggerate and say that is the machine learning. That's just a very simple, you know, thing. If I know that you use it every time five milligrams, I can continue doing that, right? You know, machine learning maybe, but uh, in minimal scale, right? But I, I won't give myself a tap on the shoulder and something that I'd take. Well, so, you know, going back to 2019, accurate dosing was one of the top investment drivers. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to know what effects they're going to have every single time, very similar to alcohol, whether, you know, you have a tequila or a wine or a beer, they have different effects, but you consistently know what to expect. So how, how is this accurate dosing different than some other people claiming the same thing and how exactly does it work? Yeah, I, I think when, when people start talking about accurate dosing, everybody was focused on the vapes and, and I think a lot of the times in the cannabis industry, we see it in different things with the cannabis industry. We understand there's a challenge and one company comes with one solution and then you see a herd and everybody's following and, and nobody's kind of like stopping to think, is that the only thing? And okay, well, Dosist came and said, we had a, an accurate vape and they do a time control in it, which is okay. Uh, it's what we call an engineering open loop. So essentially they're measuring how much time you're puffing and that's how they control your dose. And then a bunch of other companies have followed and there's, there's a few now, but nobody stopped to say, what about the liquids? And if, if you're assuming that a syringe is accurate, that's great, but I have a lot of researches that I'm looking up. And like, even when you teach nurses how to do it, they're still not that accurate with a syringe. And there's graphs that like show up to 50% mis, uh, misdosing with syringe. So essentially, we're missing that part with the liquids. We're just focusing on the, um, on the vape. And then another thing that one of the judges asked us, which I think is a fair point, is what happens if the oil itself is not accurate? And, and that's a challenge, and we acknowledge that. But you can't solve the problem without solving both challenges, right? You need to, one, know what you're manufacturing, but then what you're actually dosing. And today, people are not dosing correctly. They don't know what they're consuming. And you have a lot of these mistakes and you have people saying oh i consumed too much oil i didn't feel good i fell asleep for too long all, all these stories um so we just took a different approach and said there's more places to be accurate on not only the vapes and and essentially i have to say i think for us our accuracy is much higher because with vapes it really depends also on how people are drawing it is the oil around the heating pump exactly or not there's a lot in thermodynamics that is very difficult for us to control that i'm not sure an open loop vape can do where for us, and we're also an open loop, meaning we don't measure how much liquid is going out, but our mechanism, our proprietary pump is very accurate. And, and, and we know that from testing. But you're consuming all of it. It's all going for you. If you consume two milligrams of oil, you're putting it sublingual, I know that. If I know that I give you exactly two milligrams and I'm accurate at plus minus 2%, that's what you got. So this is a real accurate dose that you're getting right now, which was not available before that. Yeah, I guess it is a really good question and an interesting point because, you know, one blue dream might be different than the next. And so <clears throat> depending on what the, um, the product says, for example, you might have CBN from degradation or, or whatnot, you know, so definitely is interesting. So with the advancement with technology, is that going to be something that you're able to pick up is different cultivars or chemovars or um, what is the future of that technology and what are you able to actually extract and utilize? So, so again, because we're not touching the plant, we're just doing the spec. What we do is 
every time a new client wants to work with us, we need to just adjust, we need to learn their liquid one time. So when they, they finish manufacturing it, we need to understand how viscous it is. Uh, and just to explain what that means very, uh, very high level is if you take a jar of honey and you put it upside down, it's going to go really slowly. Even though honey is a liquid, it doesn't just drop like water, right? So different oils and liquids will have different viscosity and, and we need to adjust for that so we can really measure our, our accuracy. Um, and then a few other things about the liquid. We kind of need to build that in, make sure how do we dispense one milligram of that? So do you have 18 milligrams per milliliter or 23 milligrams per milliliter? kind of need to do a small experiment, make sure that we're adjusting our pod, and then uh, we just type it on. So all of our pods are smart pods, meaning they have a chip that the dispenser can read, and we kind of give our dispensers instructions there. So now the minute you did the pod, you connect it to the dispenser, and right away it knows how to dispense one milligram. So for, for us in Voyager, it's more about taking the liquid and knowing how to dispense it very accurately, but we don't do the extraction at all. We're, we don't have a license, and we don't have a license. We, we want to keep ourselves light from that perspective so we can take our model once we prove it in Canada and copy it to each state in the United States, as you mentioned before, and in Europe and, and just expand it. It's kind of like a franchisee from that perspective. Obviously, right now with uh, COVID and the issues, edibles are really popular. The big concern people had was overdosing. So this product seems like a really good idea to get novice people or just uh, even regular consumers who want something that's going to be consistent. So is this something that you designed based on knowing that edibles were something that people weren't able to accurately either dose or, or ingest themselves? Kind of what brought about it and where do you see this product fitting in the current COVID environment with edibles having the sales that they are? Yeah. And, and I, I think sometimes our product really fits a lot of white you know, variety of options and everybody tells you like, you need to know and focus. And, and we do have our focus, but the fact is to your question, it really can solve a lot of issues. Um, I think how we got to this was very interesting. My, my partner and I, we wanted to create a cannabis beverage and we thought a lot of cannabis companies are trying to do it in a very complicated way, invest a lot of money. And we're like, sure, we can do it cheaper. And we were working on that for a while till one day we had this aha moment. we like to call it, we put our MBA hats on. And we're thinking, well, if you're adding cannabis at the last stage to the beverage, why are you adding it at all? Why? There's no reason. As the consumer, I don't get value from you deciding that I want to drink a Coca-Cola. You wanted to make it sparkling for me. And just as an experience from Friday, it was Jewish Rosh Hashanah. I went to friends. I was responsible for wine. And I decided to bring some cannabis beverages as well. They were all sparkling in the store. There was not one not sparkling. And I don't drink any like carbonated drinks. Hmm. But we kind of had this moment of like, why do I need to decide all of that to the consumer? Why do I need to tell you you want two milligrams or five milligrams when maybe I want something else? And in everybody you ask, all the CEOs of the cannabis companies will tell you it's a very personal product. Five milligrams for me, maybe three milligrams for you, right? And, and we thought, why not sell just cannabis that's infused in water as drops and let you mix it? And we'll do it in really fancy files and, and sell to you, we'll work them. And it took us a bit more time to understand, like, no, we need to be even more uh, adaptable. We need to give you a dispenser. And then we kind of started to go on with that. And we figured out, like, we're actually solving a big problem here because most of the consumers with edible, they're like, consumers don't want to smoke and vape, the majority of the people. And then they all have these stories of they use the brownie and they felt really bad. They don't know how to control the dose. It doesn't work for them. And, and also we're asking them to do two changes. Maybe somebody doesn't want to eat a brownie. Maybe they don't eat sugar. A lot of us don't eat those things anymore. I live a fairly healthy life from that perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I think it just answered all of those challenges. We really developed a product that we thought would be convenient for a lot of people to consume. I always like to say this, I developed something that I think my mother will feel comfortable taking out of her purse and adding some cannabis to her beverage in a coffee place and not feeling uncomfortable. Not that she uses cannabis, but I think this will make her feel comfortable to do it, right? Um, but I have to say, when I go to talk with uh, butt tenders, and I do that uh, quite often, I like to go to the dispensaries. The majority of them likes them because they buy the, the drops. They don't buy the beverages because they're too expensive for them. And they're like, wow, I need this. And I like to take 40 milligrams of CBD. Somebody told me they had to count 80 drops of CBD, you know, dropper. I'm like, really? So, so the reactions we're getting from heavy users as, are as interesting, right? Um, so, so I do see this going to, to both sides of the market. Hmm. Speaking of cannabis cafes, it's not really a thing in the States, wide scale. <clears throat> but do you see this as being something that people would have at the table to use and consume? Or would this be something behind the bar at like a barista would use? I guess I'm, I'm wondering about the um, industrial application available with this product. So it's really interesting because I, I, I have a vision to what you can do with this when we get to that stage where we have phase, right? Mm -hmm. But I always thought like, I don't really need a cafe to be honest, that's it, I don't need it. I can go right now with you and sit here in my favorite coffee place, take my pot and dispenser, open my coffee, add my amount of milligrams of THC, ask you how much you want to offer you, add to you. And you know, in these COVID days when nobody wants to pass a joint anymore, uh, and, and honestly, a week ago, somebody passed the joint and asked if it comes with COVID, right? Like we're not in those days anymore. So it's, it's really easy to share. To, to your question before and we close our cups and that's it we can drink our coffee with cannabis i don't need to go to a special place anymore but having said that and i do think that coffee you know cafes for cannabis will be a thing i can definitely see our solution like i can take a dispenser and then incorporate it within like a nice um i need to find the word in english because that's a difficult one uh but like a cap right and maybe having one or two or three pods and allowing a bartender to just do whatever beverage they want and come and add very quickly a few drops of whatever cannabis or maybe mixing uh, cannabis. Uh, I, I, I think in that case, you're kind of competing against maybe a bit um, O-Blend, but again, we also do the dispensing accurately for glasses. So that can be different, right? I can literally dispense the one milligram. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I do see it going there. And there's a lot of like these nice cafes here in Toronto that have these really small, slick, uh, Kind of taps for their coffee right now and they can see us like integrating that in it because uh, our device is fairly small i think once cafes become a thing it's going to revolutionize the industry but i think that covid has as well it's definitely sped up uh the implementation of delivery it's not legal in washington state but that'll get fast-tracked as cafes mm -hmm. kind of get sidetracked um what does your crystal ball prediction say for for the industry as a whole? Where do you see it going the remainder of the year or even into 2021? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one where the industry is going, but I think we're gonna continue seeing a bunch of the big guys, obviously, you know, that there's gonna be a, a few other failures there probably, but I do think with the dispensaries, it's, it's obvious we don't have enough, right? Um, it, it's nice to see that there's more and more online purchasing after COVID and, and we've been tracking that because we believe that our product is really good for being sold online. It's, it's, it's very thin. It can go in an envelope. It doesn't weigh much. Um, 
So we've been seeing an increase in online. I think that's going to stay. And that's a big change in Canada, right? People in the beginning, they didn't want to put their credit card. So I think we're going to continue seeing that. But hand in hand, we're going to see an increase in store, which is very important. Uh, again, something that I was kind of like um, not a big believer, but it's been proven that I was wrong about that is the more stores you have, the more consumers. And, and it's, it's visible and, and you need it. Like when you think about all the LCBOs you have here, which are the, our alcohol stores, um, those are the things that are needed. And then the other thing that I would say, and this is my, you know, more aligned with what Voyager is doing. Uh, I, I think there's a big uh, challenge in the industry where related to what I said before about somebody saying the solution and everybody running after them. I don't think that cannabis beverages as they are, are going to stay the, the end, like the solution for, for cannabis beverages. I think ready to drink are a solution that comes after you know what consumers want. I think the industry needs to start with a broad option. So it doesn't have to be our dispenser, even though I think that's going to be a, a big thing, but there's companies that are selling beverage drops that you can add to your beverage. That's what you need to start with. Let people do their beverage by themselves, give them the control, and maybe we learn that people love, I don't know, cannabis in their sports drink. And that's what we need to do as a ready to drink. But as it is today, like we invented all these drinks without really knowing what consumers want, right? Like nobody knows. So I, I really think that's a, a mistake. That's not how to sell cannabis. I always sell, say cannabis is not necessarily convert, comparable to alcohol. Uh, and the way that it's not essentially compared to coffee, but you won't sell a coffee in a can. You will sell it at beans. And I think that cannabis needs to be sold as a concentrate and not as a ready to drink. So that is my biggest prediction. Uh, probably take the industry more than 2020 to figure it out, but I hope we prove everybody wrong on it. It is interesting that ready to go drinks are so expensive around $20 US that I've seen for a lemonade. That's really a seasonal drink in the summer. Whereas coffee in the Northwest, we drink a lot of coffee and the only ready to go you know, coffee that I've seen is in Portland and they're always sold out. And I think there's only one company remaining where the other companies switched. They either are out of business or they had to switch entirely because coffee for whatever reason is maybe a value purchase. They're not going to spend, well, I mean, they spend eight bucks at Starbucks every day, but they won't do that for cannabis at 20. Uh, Obviously that's expensive. So I'm just curious if we can get it down to 10 to 15 cents per milligram um, at 100 milligram limits, if if that will improve the volume. Um, I mean, I'm a big believer it will, right? Because at the end of the day, I'll give you an example from the market here. There is a company that is selling a powder that you can mix with any beverage. You can buy 10 milligrams for $7. Or you can buy two tea bags, each one with five milligrams for $12. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure I'm, I'm accurate on the price as well. So there's $5 difference for the same amount of milligrams that go into your beverage, just in the expensive one, you're told that it's a tea and you're told that it's five milligrams in each tea. And I actually bought it at home because I wanted to try it out. And, and my wife was super excited because she doesn't like smoking and vaping. But the first thing she said is like, the tea is not good. Because mm. we have our own tea at home. We, we like doing our own thing. We add our ginger and our lemon and all of that. And you know, why did I need to spend that extra $5? That's not the value that I was looking for. I was looking for cannabis that can be really well absorbed into my beverage in the end of the day. And that's where the value is. So you're asking for $5 more for something I literally don't need. And honestly, I don't have a tea bag that costs two and a half dollars in my home. So, so I just think, you know, we're complaining about the industry not accepting the beverages yet, but maybe we just have it wrong. Maybe that's not the solution. You know, okay, we're telling people buy these beverages to try and get them. They're saying, well, 
it's not all of the value and, and I'm paying for something I don't need. Um, and, and then you're mentioning coffee. I think a lot of people forget that cannabis is not alcohol. You don't consume it only in the evening. I start my day every day with, with vaping. The first thing I do in the morning probably is, is vape. So it's something that you do around the day and I need it with coffee in the morning. Definitely not as a you know, beer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap this up, tell me a little bit about what's happened since Canada had their 2.0 launch um, about nine months ago, right? So that was the um, extension of beverages and concentrates. Um, how have sales gone? What have you seen moving? Where's the industry going? What's, what's Canada look like right now with the 2.0? Yeah, I think we've seen a few interesting stuff. If you don't mind, I'll start with a vaping example. Um, we had an awesome intern here in the summer and we did a lot of tracking of prices. So we used to go like on a weekly basis, collect prices from, uh, from all the websites and all the data we can. And then of the summer, he did for us this nice summary of his findings. And one of his findings was around market share for different products in the vaping. And I don't remember the numbers here, but essentially there were about uh, five groups. There was doses, there were packs, there were five tens, and then there were a bunch of small, you know, disposables. And, and he was presenting that with the percentage. And, and I just told him, like, listen, this is the data, right? But I, I see something else. I see packs as the first mover advantage of our ecosystem and nobody able to compare complete with them. Like the, the other ones are less than 1%. Or they shouldn't even be in the graph, right? And packs held, I think, like 20% of the Canadian market from vapes. Wow. So you definitely want to be the first mover when you're building an ecosystem. The second one doesn't count. Dosist with their amazing marketing machine, they control a big part of the market, uh, almost as big as Paxi, I think. And, and I think they're changed right now. They're moved to the, they're moving from disposable to kind of um, you buy the battery and, and the pod. And I think they'll be able to compete because they did such a good work. Then you see the five tens with a huge market, but nobody can really control that. There's no quality assurance as a consumer when you buy it. You don't know if there was anybody else looking on it. Um, and you see all these small guys and I think it just shows you about the industry that a lot of things we could have known before. There's only place for one ecosystem that did it right in the beginning and the rest can't really compete. Why even try? Um, and, and I kind of think we're going to see the same in beverages from that perspective. And that's why I wanted to start with that. Um, and then on the edibles, we're starting to see a lot of beverages. When I speak with the bartenders, they tell me that beverages are going really well here in Canada. All of them, all of them are telling me that they buy the, the drops, the water drops, because beverages are too expensive. Now, just to compare, water drops are about 400 milligrams for $64, and a regular beverage is around almost $10 for 5 milligrams, give or take. They are saying that consumers are still struggling a bit sometimes because they're not sure they want to commit for a big amount. But when they recur and they come again, that's when they can convert them. So it's very interesting to see that. And I, I wonder if we're going to continue seeing that because that obviously uh, plays to our strategy, like what we see as the future. So it's very anecdotal. I don't have data on this, but I, again, I talk a lot with the bartenders and, and I find that interesting to see, you know, what they think. Um, yeah, I think those are going to be the interesting parts, right? And it's how we can bring the consumers that are not the correct consumers. The, the ones Would that you are- infer just from your own data that that's a lack of, trusted brands and what's the reason that people aren't going out and and trying more or spending more initially i i think in the in the vaping world there's definitely a, a matter of trust so for 
me at least, I don't know if all the consumers think the same, but I know that when I buy a PAX, no matter which LP in Canada decided to, to fill that pod, they didn't only need to go through Health Canada. PAX made sure that it's, it stands in their quality. Something that we're learning and we're doing the same with Voyager. So if any company wants to join us, we're going to make sure that the quality is good. We learn from them because I, I know that I don't like buying uh, vapes that are oil. I, I feel that's too harsh for me. I prefer vaping dry leaf. Um, but if I do, and I always have one, and I have a PAX actually, right? And I, and I think that I really value that quality that they, they make sure that is there. Um, if all the other consumers think the same as me, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure to, to tell you. Uh, but again, I just think the learning is, you know, I think Tokyo Smoke wanted to do a competing ecosystem and it's just not working. And there's nothing bad or wrong with Tokyo Smoke, but it's very difficult to be second to an ecosystem where all the big brands are already taken. As a consumer, what reason do I have to buy a dispenser from Tokyo Smoke that will only operate pods from Tokyo Smoke and not all the big ones that I want, right? Like I want to be able to buy Organigram, which is an awesome grower. And I have that in packs. I don't have that anywhere else. Um, so so I, I, I think that you kind of see there's a first mover advantage in this, great. If not, like you need to have this, again, this really good marketing machine that you see working. And, and I heard a bunch of things that Dosis did and just brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm taking the hat off. They, they did a really good job uh, on their marketing here in Canada. Do you have any um, insight or any opinion on the flow of capital? It's a very difficult time to raise capital. Um, do you have any insight as to where it's coming from? I mean, last year it seemed like it was coming out of Canada and multi-state operators were going everywhere. Now it seems like the growth is in the U.S. Um, but from a capital standpoint, where is it coming from? Yeah. And uh, what does it look like? What's the landscape for investors? So, yeah, very interesting. So I, I raised money a while in the cannabis industry because also I worked for another company in the beginning. When I just entered the industry, I fundraised for them. And then I, I founded Voyager uh, a year and a half ago. So when I, I raised for the, the other company, majority of the cash was coming from the U.S. and Canada, and money was really flowing those days. That was the days that companies were just raising in the millions for, you know, I have an idea, boom, here's some money because he said cannabis. Uh, when we fundraised last year for, for Voyager, I don't think that was the case. It was a bit more difficult. I have to say we raised most of our money in Europe, actually. Not in, we met them in, in, in events in the U.S., but our like two of our lead investors that gave us uh, a few hundred thousand dollars were from Europe, actually. Um, very interestingly, right now when COVID, it's I have to say it's very difficult. It feels like there's still a lot of money flowing into the big companies, and I'm going to make the assumption that there's a lot of people there that don't want to see these companies completely failing with their initial investment, or there's money reinvested. Sometimes it feels a bit awkward. We're the the new guy, and we haven't failed yet. But these guys that have failed once or twice are still getting substantially more money. Like they're raising $30 million when we're trying to raise only five. And it's a bit frustrating, but you know, that, that's the game. Uh, for us, I think we have a different challenge. So we're trying to create a new platform for people to use cannabis. And, and one of our struggles, I would say, is even when we find investors that love what we're doing, they're saying like, we need more traction. We want to see more because we like you as a founder. We like the solution. We believe in it. But how do we see the consumers. So those are things that we need to solve uh, with them. And, and we are actually, right? We have a few things to, to solve that. But uh, I think for smaller startups, fundraising is, is still a bit more difficult uh, and money is not flying in as it has been before. Uh, but there's still, you know, there's opportunities. And, and as you mentioned, we, we met in one of those pitch events. And I have to say, we met a few investors there. 
um, and have some good calls out of that. So, so I do see, you know, money is coming in, but I can't say it's a specific location for companies like us at this stage. Again, last year, definitely Europe. So with the lockdown and everything, and you can't really go to events, still not sure if MJ BizCon is going to be in Vegas in person or strictly online. How do you make the most out of it? What, it looks like maybe 2021 is going to be the same as 2020, where there's not going to be events at least until the spring or summer. How do you as an entrepreneur and business person get the most out of this environment? It's really tough. You know, anybody who knows me and has seen me in an event knows that I work the crowd. Like put me in a networking event. I'm going to talk with everybody, find whoever I need. And, you know, I kind of put myself out there, go and talk with people and, and bring them to a conversation. So the minute it moves online, very difficult. And, you know, if you don't come up with a Rolex of investors, it's a tough one. And, and I have to say, I think one of the challenges of the industry is that a lot of these events, they don't really pick and choose who's going to come and speak. They ask for $5,000. And, you know, maybe that's the reason that a lot of companies are failing because they just paid $5,000, they raised money. And, you know, maybe the, the events are part of the mistake, right? They're charging the listeners to pay them and they're bringing the commercial. I tell them, if you want to talk with me and hear what I'm doing, I'm like, we love what you're doing. You pay us $5,000, you get 10 minutes to pitch. We're avoiding that. We don't play that game as a decision uh, for good and for bad. We're only willing to go to events that we need to pay $100 dollars because that's fair for founders and for startups and that respects us as, as what we're doing. And we're being chosen for them, right? Um, I find that in these big events, it's very difficult, right? People are coming half power from that perspective. Um, you know, we, we had some success in the events of meeting people, but it's not networking. So there's no like actually networking and, and things like that. Um, so we're working with more finders talking. We have a bank that's talking with us and wants to help us fundraise, um, and all kinds of options like that. And, and I think for us as Voyager, one, one thing we're doing right now is we're expanding essentially our, our search not only for cannabis investors, because the end of the day for us, we're really a hardware company. So there's no reason I, I won't go to a VC that invests in medical equipment. Um, and, and I think that's an advice that a lot of other companies maybe should do, because in my opinion, if you're in the cannabis industry, most chances today as a startup that you're not a grower. So if you're a tech or you're a service and you can apply for other things, maybe you need to look for money also outside of cannabis just to kind of expand your circle. Yeah, having gone to cannabis events for the last, you know, maybe seven years, I won't even pay to go and listen to anybody anymore. I find it very frustrating when you want to listen to a panel uh, and it's a pay to play system. The panel isn't really there to enlighten or to give you any information. They're really there just to publicize themselves. And so, you know, being a, a finance uh, podcast, or at least looking through the lens of finance on the podcast, um, we can see that there's a lot of people who talk about friends and family loans or, you know, the secrets of financing is a, a credit card advance or a home equity line of credit or a convertible note. You know, you're like, wow, this is circa 2015 and that's the pay to play. And you can see that. And there's a lot of these big, um, you know, uh, companies, conventions that do it. And it's unfortunate because there, I think there's a lot of individuals that would have a lot more draw, a lot more interesting things to say than the ones that just pay for it. I mean, look, I'm not saying I may be wrong on everything I said today. It could be. I think I'm absolutely right. But I think I'm, I'm one of the only people that is calling out the cannabis beverage industry and saying, look, there's another way to do this. Mm-hmm. I think I can add value on any panel I go. But the fact is that any panel I go and I say this, they tell me, you're right. But you need to pay us a few thousand dollars. 
and, and that's frustrating. So again, in the end of the day, it's not all of the offense, but majority of them. And then you have a few like yourself, for example, who are saying, wait, this is interesting. Let's bring it to the audience. Let's let them decide. Um, so, so that bias is, is, I think, doing a lot of you know, challenges. Um, but again, money is coming, coming in. It's just, it's always a difficult process. I have to say my personal experience with fundraising is when I did it as a job, I loved it. I like doing sales. It's fun. I, I had, you know, every day a reason to wake up, open my list and go fundraise. As a CEO, I'm supporting my company with fundraising. I want to be developing the product. I want to be doing the business meetings with our partners. There's so many things I need to do that are not fundraising that I feel like I'm, you know, wasting my time on, on fundraising, which is in the end of the day is a supporting activity. This business does not exist to fundraise. It exists to put product on the market and make consumers happy, right? And, and I think also, you know, some of the cannabis companies sometimes forget that, right? Like they just try to fundraise and fundraise. And we're trying to do it different. We pay very low salaries for ourselves. When we did go to events before of COVID, we, we slept in a hostel, we shared a room, we, you know, we did everything to save the money we can. So just that's our approach. Hope that it pays off in the, the long run. From a development perspective, and, and that may interest you as well, well, we have a working product, right? We measured it at a lab. It's accurate. It's, it's great. Uh, what we're doing right now, which is very interesting, is two things. One is we're converting our design into a, we're designing a mold, essentially. So right now when we're 3D printing it, we pay a lot of money per pod. That's not how it's supposed to be. Pods are supposed to be really low cost. The minute we have a mold ready, half a dollar per plastic, not including the proprietary pump that we have inside. And then on the dispenser itself, um, I'll show you an opened one. If I'll put it in front of myself, like it's called uh, two layers right now, which means that we didn't really do a lot of work to make it small yet. We just wanted it to work. Uh, so we're working now with a company to make it four or six layers, really shrink it. And that will essentially make the product even smaller, something that we get a lot of people asking us about. Um, and then usually what I do is I present to them a bottle of 30 ml and explain that liquid is not, you can't compress liquid, right? You can flatten it, you can't compress it. So there's a size that there's always going to be, 30 ml takes 30 ml, but we can shrink the dispenser and that's something we're working on. And uh, we're aiming to have a sensory test by the end of the year. And that sensory test will happen with one of the cannabis companies here in Canada. We'll do that sensory testing um and then get prepared with them for shoppers hopefully and be ready for product for a uh, first quarter that's the goal right now that's great so you're going to have some product available for the canadian marketplace first quarter 2021 what that's about the u.s so we we've been asked a lot about that and, and to be honest a lot of times we tell ourselves like maybe it is smarter to go and start in the u.s there's a lot of advantages less regulation there's more marketing and advertising the challenge is it's very difficult to start a business remotely. I need to be there. I can't really go to the States right now. I can't fly back and forward, both because cannabis can be a bit difficult on the border and then with COVID. Um, and we see our business from that perspective as we're building an ecosystem where we push the dispensers and then companies purchase the pods and put the pods in the, the industry. We're starting our own brand in Canada to get the party going. But the main value comes from the big brands that you and all the listeners know right if you like buying tweet i don't have their brand recognition or i don't have the same brand recognition again as as doses as organigram or all of those guys so we really want to have that but after we did that and improved our model here 
I can almost like a franchisee now move to the States. And now I can go to California, find a partner that can manage my ecosystem. I don't need the Voyager pod anymore. Companies will join because they know it's a success story. And now I can start in any jurisdiction opening that ecosystem. One partner managing the dispensers for us, and we can just sell the pods there. Um, so we really believe we have to prove that, first of all, the business works, and we need to do it close. So we're doing both our manufacturing in Canada at this stage because we can't fly back and forth to China. So we're doing both the manufacturing of the plastic, the assembly, and all the PCB here in Canada at this stage. Um, and we're doing our first go-to market here in Canada. And once we prove it, we can very simply expand. We have uh, IP on this, so we submitted provisional patents. They're not provisional anymore, sorry. They're non-provisional at this stage. Uh, we submitted them in the States. We already extended it to Europe and to Canada, so we're fairly comfortable. And we always say we believe we're going to win these markets on execution. The, the patent is for when we go medical. That's great. How, if people have any questions or they want to look at it, invest in it, buy it, whatever, where can people get some more information? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. So, so we are fundraising, if I'm allowed to say that on your show. Yep. Uh, and, and we're happy to talk with uh, accredited investors. You can simply uh, reach out to me. My email is elad, E-L-A-D at voyagerproducts.ca. Um, I believe that on our website, you can go to info. We'll read that also. Or through LinkedIn. I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. Elad Barak. Uh, feel free to reach out and happy to talk and, and share more information. I want to thank my guest, Elad Barak. He is CEO of Voyager. Thanks for being on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Thanks. I appreciate it. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.